Hello and welcome to the first episode in a new series of For the Love of Film. I'm Ben Williams and with me today is my new co-host, Lawrence Dodds. This week we're going to be reviewing uh, Slumdog Millionaire, the new film from eminent British director Danny Boyle. I think it needs no introduction because anyone who's anyone has heard of this film. So so you say, but in fact before seeing it I didn't know anything about it. I had very carefully insulated well, myself have to finding question. out how the plot... How the plot worked. In fact, I didn't know what it. I thought it was about a dog. I was looking forward to the good old Beethoven-style dog movie. I said everyone who's anyone would have heard of this film, Lawrence. Maybe the fact you haven't is saying something. But anyway, let's well, that goes without saying. Let's go into it. Um, unfortunately, it's not a dog movie, but this doesn't stop it from achieving greatness. I feel. I mean, it. Uh, it's a greatness. fantastically vivid. Well, maybe not. Okay, maybe not greatness. Goodness. Fine. Whatever. It's a fantastically <laughs> vivid visual, a live film, uh, and lots of other things beginning with V as well. Um, what Danny Boyle's always been good at is uh, manipulating generic conventions to create very striking visual images and that here he does that fantastically he takes his camera just diving into Indian slums uh, an environment of incredible poverty which is rather perversely very beautiful um, and uh, just a, an incredibly pacey and exciting thrilling yes yeah all those words I mean it's half chase movie um, half Temporal drama, I guess you could say. I don't know what you'd say for a drama that spans a great deal of time. Except it's not someone of fame. No, it's, it's sort of a, a fusion of genres. Um, some might say he's borrowed a lot from other films. Yes, Chase movie. It's life is chase. That's what life is like in this place. It says these people. You just get the the characters are chased from one, constantly throughout their lives, and they're const- they're on always on a on a knife edge between abject failure and the greatest of successes. Yeah, I'm. I think that's actually right. I think Daniel Boyle's trying to show everyone is on at the tipping point between falling into an abyss. Or actually, they're not at the tipping point. That's wrong. That's wrong to say. There's a they're huge, a there's a huge amount, a of, huge amount of people that have already fallen off. You could say, and they're never going to get back up again. And there's a small amount of people who, throughout their youth, have a small chance to get out of whatever miserable situation they're in. Mm. But it's only chance they can ever get out of it. What Daniel Boyle's showing here that. You can only get out of India if you're bloody lucky or if you're a gangster. That's the impression I've got. Presumably when you say get out of India, you mean get out of the, the ghetto of being a poor street child in India. Perhaps. I mean, but then again, India is crazy. They're like now, now in Mumbai, like you get a five-year prison sentence for carrying plastic bags. Instead, really? they... Well, yes, to reduce, conge- uh, to reduce sort of pollution and so on. Mm-hmm. Instead, of course, they could have given you like five rupees to give you plastic to, no no you give it, no 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 you you let the you know you make a recycling plan and then you people bring in the plastic bags and redeem them for small amounts of money which actually would also give a source of income to street children but no in no i mean helping the poor in india you're crazy in fact one of the interesting scenes about slumdog millionaire how it almost uh, constitutes a, a sort of compact social history of india there's a great focus on uh, the realities of living in this sort of slumland environment uh, which gives the film its name, uh, and how in that environment, in that situation, you're only ever a hair's breadth away from maybe making a million dollars or maybe ending up dead in a bathtub or falling in a pile of shit. People are trapped in these sort of semi-feudal hierarchies, gangsters, local scissorinties, and it's very, very difficult for them to get out. There's only ever a, a very small line between them and utter ruin. Yeah, I mean, you can forget about the million pounds or rupees, whatever it is. I think... You- all they can it's 20 really, million rupees 20 million rupees sorry all they can really hope for is actually survival in this environment I think actually <laughs> I think actually surviving is is the prize and that's what Danny Boyle's trying to show and the chance of anyone winning a million are 
truly, truly remote. In fact, in that sense, uh, the sheer improbability of William Million, a million uh, kind of stands in for the sheer improbability of ever getting out of that ghetto at all. Um, it's uh, this uh, semi-mythical chance in a million that you're almost never going to get, unless, of course, like the film's hero, you are somehow fated. Yeah, I mean, pure luck is the only way out of this situation. And it's interesting that even as India progresses throughout time and you see our hero in a call centre 20 years down the line working... Actually, it's quite a lot of comedy there, showing how um, England is essentially pervading India and that England rules India almost. I mean, sort of post-colonialism, really. Um, yeah, it's quite quite good that the film's actually bilingual, that there's a there's a... Uh, the sort of more powerful characters and the characters who are more closely associated with government or at least a kind of informal power structure, yeah. they all speak English and then on the streets they all speak... Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. not sure what they speak. <laughs> because because they're, they're, they're ethnic Muslims, aren't they? So I'm not sure if they would actually spe- be speaking Indian. There are a bunch of different languages in India yeah. and I can't pretend to know a huge amount about the country. Over 1,500, in fact. Anyway. Um, how, do they, how do they all speak them all? Well, I don't think they all do speak them all. Oh, I see. Well, probably I suppose probably that regional, or it's just a wild guess. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, Danny Boyle is showing that even as India is developing, the chances of getting out of um, poverty remain the same, i.e. very low. And yet, uh, the, the film sort of valorises, sort of, it, it's beautiful, this love affair they have, these these two ciphers. Actually, it's a pretty weird love affair. It's like you don't, you don't really ever get to delve into the substance of it. The most characterisation you get... Uh, is when they're children, mm. when it's not really... And saying they're children, and they're essentially toddlers, I mean, virtually toddlers. Not they're quite. like nine or something. Okay, some of them fair enough. Some of them are getting close but to, to think that you're thinking about love at that stage, mm, debatable. But uh, somehow the relationships that they form at that early age become the driving force for their lives, trying to find each other again. Um, and I think that's perhaps where the film is lacking slightly. Yes, there's a big problem here. If we abandon for a moment the themes... The love, the love story is a big problem, and the film becomes rather less interesting, as you say, when the uh, when the love story starts to take precedence over the life and death street level struggle. Exactly. Um, partly because um, th- these two people don't really know each other, except they they do. They get to know each other, but the the times when they really get to know each other, which is when they're staying in a sort of orphanage, um, that's mostly off screen. And so, to us, they're kind of ciphers. Their mm-hmm. entire relationship with each other is really mostly inaccessible mm-hmm. to us apart from a kind of dog-like devotion on his behalf and a sort of reluctance on hers mm-hmm. I agree um, yeah so in the second half of the film when when we're relying on the love that's supposed to exist between them to be the driving force of, of the movie and it's it nice though I'm not saying it's not any love story again okay, that's lottery depends who's doing it any love story tends to be with redeeming features as is this but you don't have the stakes to that love story that there needs to be for you to really really care deeply about what's going on when it's early on the kids in the film the nine-year-olds they're wonderful actors i think both of them they deliver Mm. great performances and you really care about whether they survive at the end of it you're just like oh come on just get together i think you're overstating the case you do care um you do care about him throughout the rest of the film all it is is that the uh it becomes a little less uh intelligible to you and you become a little less sympathetic because you don't understand the love affair with the same complexity or with the same clarity really that you understand the affair with Lady Luck and with death yeah and I think maybe you'd have to give credit to Danny Boyle saying that the film is about luck I mean as as you'll see there's messages like quite explicitly given before and after the film it's about luck Um, it's not about love 
but I think there needs to be a love story there because partly because that's in the book, I guess, and it's what, a I mean it's a film. What it basically means is that the second half, while good, sags a little in comparison yeah. to the absolutely excellent first half, yeah. and um, in it, it picks up a little bit more when the whole visual inventiveness, the dynamic movement on screen comes back with the fantastic uh, fantastic sort of final uh, sequences on who wants to be a millionaire yeah. where there are technicians flurrying around behind the scenes and it yeah. does this I'd, I'd still maintain that Danny Boyle does go for that one shot that defines the movie um, and he you mean to say he, he's too focused on getting he's too a focused. striking image which occasionally doesn't ring true yeah I mean you can make a metaphor a football based metaphor here you say David Beckham in a game Goes for a ridiculous pass. They could think all right, Granddad. Because he know because, because he knows he can, and he knows it would look fantastic. But because of that, he might be sacrificing a short pass, which might aid the move better. I think it's the same here. Danny Boyle goes for that one shot that he knows will be memorable, like it is in Train Spotting when they're running along the ground to Iggy Pop and um, Ryan Walsh's dialogue is, you know, running over the top. I mean, it's iconic for anyone who hasn't even seen the film. I'm not entirely certain that was a fantastic metaphor, but I think there is a very good example we can use. I'm not necessarily the metaphor is fantastic, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah, there's a very good example of this. Um, in the early, incredibly visceral, amazing chase sequences, which we referred to earlier, or did you delete that? Who knows? Um, <laughs> there are, uh, there's this, uh, they're running through slums, and for a moment we see them from above, the kids, I mean. Um, we see them through a gap in this sort of forest of corrugated metal and plastic, and the camera zooms out five times to show the sheer enormity of this. The, the slums are huge, and the hole through which we can see them running is a tiny, just a dot in the centre of the screen. It's yeah. very powerful. And then that, that image there is saying, you can run all you like, but you're never going to get out of this enormous mm. mess. Like, that's just, you know, your small daily battles may seem significant, but they're not going to lead anywhere unless you're enormously lucky. And it's that sort of shot which is effective, and fine, it defines the movie. But those sort of shots also mean that um, importance is not going to seep into every single there shot. Is, there is something dishonest, isn't there? There's this kind of um, cinema verite cheating, like in Children of Men, where um, Key gets framed perfectly through that through that hole in the glass. It's too perfect for the for the sort of the focus on the social milieu and the, and mm. the poverty and the death mm-hmm. to be to seem entirely uh, yeah. honest. It seems a bit fraudulent I, I because this shot is so perfectly right. framed. It's the aestheticisation of um, of grinding poverty, which is that there's something unethical, there's something unpleasant perhaps, about that. Perhaps surely. unpleasant. Perhaps you could just say it's a clashing of two different styles, almost that don't mix too well. Mm. Something that's you know deliberately set up to look wonderful, and then something that's deliberately set up to look not wonderful. Mm. I mean, it's the same. As as, as much as we've been discussing um, how clear the film makes it that these struggles, which we attend so closely, are you know it's very clear placing them in context among a million other seething struggles going on around them um and yet this is advertised this is like this has been advertised and critically lauded as a feel good movie and indeed you know we there's a we get a lot of focus on the lovers and we're invited to sort of be like yay they've got together at last mm. he's got out and it's difficult to feel entirely good at the end because you go well what about the what about, what all, about the all the others i know i mean yeah, that's the point. Perhaps Danny Boyle here, any criticisms of this film, you could more put down to the producers, perhaps the editors, who are there to do the job of being able to market this film as a feel-good film. I'm sure if it was down to Danny Boyle, there wouldn't be quite that much of an element to it, maybe. Mm. Um, but nonetheless... On the other hand, if this is all deliberate, if the film makes you engage with your heart 
while your head's going, whoa, hang on, what about all the other people? If this is a film which is intentionally showing you how cruel sort of it is written, it is fate is, uh, yeah, that's really vicious. Maybe. That's Danny, another word beginning with V. Danny Boyle's always got something to say. I'll give him that. I don't know if he's got the talent to make an absolute iconic film that will last for the ages. Maybe, maybe But anyway, if it was all deliberate, it was a bit muddled. What do you mean? I mean that it, it doesn't come off clearly as a film that is critiquing its own method. It no. doesn't come off clearly as a film no. which is uh, sort of explicitly no. showing its own... I think it's difficult you know, to make a sort of film that would deeply analyse this issue, one of essentially luck in such a cruel environment as the sums of India. Yeah, I suppose when the I sums mean, of it, India are the backdrop for your roller coaster, right, that does get a bit difficult. You can't make a, a mass marketed movie in that environment, you just can't. City God? It's not mass marketable. City God, point. bigger social conscience than Slumgood Millionaire. But I'm you? not, that's not my point, I'm saying it's not mass marketable. It's famous, fair enough. But what are you talking about? Loads of, surely City of God. Did it make really millions successful. and millions at the cinema? I think if only it didn't. Oh. It's the same well, as Slumdog, Slumdog Millionaire. If you weren't able to market Slumdog Millionaire as a feel-good movie, you wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have got made. Simple as that. Mm. That's the point. Would have felt good if it was a dog. Go see it, but with reservations. Definitely, no, no, no. Definitely go see it. Fuck his reservations. It's great. Oscar nominations came out earlier this week. I'm just going to discuss them briefly here. Lawrence, what did you think of the big nominations for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Actor, etc.? Any surprises? Well, no, nothing we say is... There aren't very many surprises and nothing we say we say is going to break new ground unless, of course, we criticise... Sorry, unless, of course, we uh, just applaud the Academy without reserve. Um, but it is um, disappointing that there seems to be such a pronounced split between... Uh, so-called sort of Oscar bait films, stately uh, literary adaptations, often with um, big stars doing difficult roles for them, possibly with makeup. Uh, but that doesn't count Heath Ledger because he only gets a supporting character role, even though he's really a main character. Anyway, um, between those films and between uh, all the ones that get the visual effects and the sound effects, which are all sort of are you suggesting then The Dark Knight is that what you're saying should have been a best film nomination? Well, no, not really. But are you I mean... suggesting The Iron Man should have been a best film nomination? Iron Man? No, man. I don't know. Who, who the hell nominated Iron are Man? You, are you suggesting that any of the films that you're referring to should have been Best Film nominations? It's not that the films that are getting the Best Film nominations and uh, that sort of thing... It's oh, not that they aren't great films. It's that there seems to be a very narrow focus in what gets nominated. Now, I agree, but I think the only way you can say they've been wrong is with Wally, which is quite clearly, in my view, probably the best film of the year, actually. I think that... Um, the first 40 minutes of all is absolutely groundbreaking because there's no dialogue in it whatsoever and it's meant to be a kids film and that is brave from Pixar to even attempt that um, aside from that some of it's stunningly beautiful and it's saying a lot which is more than a lot of these films are doing so that is the one disappointment but otherwise I don't think you can say that any other films just because they have special effects in them were actually more deserving than the ones that have been nominated but the but the split is so absurd the the Dark Knight and Wally and Iron Man which is a good film don't get me wrong um, these dominate the uh, the visual effects and the sound effects uh, and the sort of technical uh, nominations as if to say, oh, well, they're technically brilliant. Of course, they're not art. Well, I don't think they're great enough to break through into any of these other categories, that's all I'm saying. I mean, Heath Ledger is probably one of the few performances in it that in any of those films. Are there is one nice surprise. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is, uh, is uh, got I mean, best, the, best, it, best supporting role nomination for his turn in Tropic Thunder. If you're I mean. saying if the Academy is too narrow-focused... 
I think you may be wrong because if you look at who's been nominated for Best Actor, Richard Jenkins for The Visitor, which is a pretty small release film, um, and he's very deserving, and I thought he'd be overlooked. He wasn't. Very few people have even heard of that film. And then you look at Robbie Downey Johnny Jr. for Tropic Thunder, as you say. I mean, that's a comedy. Usually that rules people out straight away, but he's deserving of that Oscar nomination. So I think the Academy's been quite brave this year, if anything. What about the Best Picture nominations? Do you think Danny Boyle's going to get the credit that you obviously think he deserves for Slumdog Millionaire? Is flashy, vibrant, virtuoso... Probably not. So you think something like Melk or Frost Nixon character-driven dramas more likely? Yes, I haven't seen Frost Nixon, although I'd like to. Possibly it's got incredible cinematography. Nah, I'll tell you what, I reckon Milk, actually. You think Melk's going to win Best Picture? Yeah, I do. You really do? Yeah, I do. Want to make something of it? <laughs> Didn't well, think so. I mean, I'd be happy to put a bet on it that you're wrong. But basically, basically yeah, but I've uh, lots of people I know in America who have seen it say it is great. Um... The same as Norway says about Frost Nixon. I've heard a lot of mixed things about Benjamin Button. Yes. And um, sadly, Benjamin Button is cursed by the very presence of Brad Pitt, which for me would rule it out of anything. Oh come now! Don't you think it's Just an achievement act. to have his face composited onto various horrible bodies? To be honest, I'd rather stay that way. I won't <laughs> ever see that man again. <laughs> uh, apart from that, I think Slumdog Millionaire is going to win it, isn't it? I don't think so. But you say we can hope. You say Mel. You're going for the rank outsider there, but fair enough, Lawrence. Surely not. Fair enough. Right, Lawrence, I know you're someone who digresses whilst talking about films or anything else. For I wouldn't that say that. I'm doing it right now. I'm trying to introduce this new feature. You're doing it right now. Can you get on with it then? Okay. Stop digressing. Shut up. Right. Uh, oh, you throw me off my thread now. Yeah, I was going to do a one-minute review of a wrestler because, uh, no, well, not a wrestler, sorry, the wrestler, <laughs> the new film with Mickey Rourke, but I can't start talking about it because that'll violate my one-minute so, rule. Here you go, Lawrence. One minute, go. Okay, so the wrestler is um, not so much as a character, not so much of a character piece, but uh, also a body piece. The character is very rooted in a in a physical reality, which uh, Darren Aronofsky's sort of almost masochistic camera spends a lot of time brooding on. There's mesmerising scenes of physical violence. Uh, there's fantastic res- wrestling sequences um, like if you like wrestling as a kid this is fantastic uh, and who didn't let's face it um, it's very clever the film in its use of generic conventions and although it may seem formulaic that's rather the point if you're going to knock it for that you're missing a point and um, it's uh, it's very clever and it, there are some obvious messages uh, Mickey Rock is a kind of a figure for contemporary America maybe and um, 20 seconds Lawrence oh really have I got that long yeah it's, it's a very touching film despite being in some ways incredibly depressing it's not without comic moments um, and although you may find it a bit slow if you do you're a bit of a lame basically it's a fantastic film so what you're saying you don't agree with me you're wrong mm. oh we're right out of time well done Lawrence Right, so thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, we'll be back again probably in a couple of weeks where we may well review Frost Nixon. Um, we don't review something maybe newer. <laughs> Look, I run the show here, Lawrence. Let's get this clear. You're the new host. You know, yeah, fair enough. You're not allowed to say anything at this point. I bow to your authority. Also, I apologise for my really stupid yeah, voice. This is Lawrence. This is it's as not he my is. Fault. I put up with it a lot more get than Get out you. of here. So you'd be apologising to me, not them. Poor me. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Lawrence. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye.